Welcome to the Hashtag Hope Wall Podcast with your host, Destiny Davies, proudly brought to you by The Solitude Project, bringing you conversations behind closed doors where others share their stories of love, hope, and inspiration, including the tools they have used to overcome adversities in this journey called life. To the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 27. Today we have an anonymous guest who is going to share her story, Life Growing Up in a Shed. Her background is predominantly in criminology, psychology, and she works in mental health. Today I just wanted to say thank you very much for having the courage to share your truth, and we look forward to hearing your story. So take us on your journey. Hi all. Um, I think I want to start this off by saying that this is very incredibly difficult for me to share. I um, I carry a lot of um, shame with my trauma, so um, I may need to pause a few times when I'm sharing my story with you, um, but I will do my best to share it and I hope that um, someone takes something positive from this. Um, so my trauma really started um, when I was about five years old when my parents divorced. Um, they they'd purchased um, a property um, out in like a, a rural part of Brisbane, um, like half an acre. And um, um, they my parents built um, a shed on there with the idea of also building a house there as well um, but they they divorced um, and mum moved in with my grandma um, and, and her place and my father um, lived on this block of land and yeah so um, they built a shed and um, he moved into there and my brother and I spent most afternoons after school with him in there and we also lived with him on the weekend um, and then we were at mum with mum during the week. Um, so my, my trauma is really centred on I guess both of my parents but mainly being in the shed um, and with my father. So the shed was like a like it was kind of like a house in, in, a, in a lot of ways. Um, we, you know, we had access to water. We had ac- access to electricity. We had beds and all that, and a little, and a little kitchen. But um, it was certainly by no means a, a home. I always kind of describe it as standards below, like normal living standards, is how I would describe it. Um, my father was a hoarder. Um, so it was very cramped. There wasn't a lot of space, um, and it was it was just generally dirty and, un, and unkept. Um, it was difficult living in the shed because it was we were there for so many years, um, and, it, and it's actually well, it was illegal, and the council would often um, berate my father about being in there and would try to kick him out. So. Um, I guess part of my trauma is too we had to kind of stay there in secret and in hiding we um we weren't allowed to have um the windows open we always had to have 
have them closed and always have a curtain over them. We weren't allowed to play outside. Um, certainly wasn't allowed to bring friends over into the shed. <laughs> um, and even just with going you know, to and from the shed, we had to be very secretive about it as well because we had, um, I unfortunately had schoolmates that lived in the same street where this, this shed was. So when we, we drove onto the property, I would just have to keep, my brother and I would have to keep our heads down in the car. Um, and yeah, it was not nice. Um, yeah, I just even remember being in there sometimes and the council would come onto the property and they would knock all around the parameter of the building to see if any was in, anybody was inside there living in there. We also had some not nice neighbours come onto the, the property and do a similar thing. So that was really traumatic. Um, just trying to keep it a secret was was difficult. Um, so you're probably wondering why were you still in the shed if they were going to build a house? Well, this kind of ties into the other aspect of my trauma, which was my father's probably undiagnosed mental health illness um, and his narcissistic personality. Um, he had this grand idea that he would build a massive mansion on this property. Um, He'd often spend most, he never, he didn't work, he ran a semi-illicit business, which I'll go into in a second, um, but he did not hold, um, he didn't have a job. Um, he spent most of his time writing TV show script ideas, and he would um, send those into all the various TV networks and hope, and he would hope that one of them would take one of his concepts on board and he'd become a millionaire. Um, so how he well how we got most of our money was through his um illegitimate business which was um selling radar detectors so you're probably thinking what's a radar detector well a lot of us like speeding and basically this is a a device that um warns you when police are around so you can slow down and you won't get ticketed or booked um and he would sell this to all sorts of people <laughs> like bikies for example and um yeah it that's how we got most of our money he didn't earn a lot of money from that business as you could probably imagine because you can't really advertise uh that product too many places but that we yeah so it was it was tough there wasn't a lot of money growing up and um it was difficult living with him to say the least um he yeah after just being around him wasn't, most of the time wasn't pleasant. He'd often have um, yelling fits um, and he'd take out a lot of abuse on my brother and myself and he was just really kind of angry about how his life had, um, how his life was really. And I, in a way, I think he was resentful of having kids. I don't think he was prepared to have kids because he didn't know how to really parent us. Um, he did put us in danger as well. So it wasn't just in the shed with the, screaming and the yelling um he would often after school when he'd pick my brother and I up he'd drive around um where we were living at very high speeds um yeah and he would uh you know do things like suddenly slam on the brakes and it was just very frightening as a child to deal with that but um yeah so that was really really difficult and then you know Things weren't much better with mum. Mum 
mum's um, idea of um, well parenting was physical physical abuse so between the two it's there was no kind of reprieve and growing up I did feel very alone like I didn't really have anyone that loved me or was kind of there for me except of course for my brother because he he grew up with me and it's terrible to say but it's it's awful that he experienced it with me but he's the only one that we you know that knows really truly how I feel and I know that he deeply cares about me because he's gone through this as well but that was that was really life life in 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 you know, growing up as a child, um, moving into my teens, things got a bit more difficult. Um, so, um, my father was actually, um, sued, um, and to protect this property from, for him having to give up this property, he actually put it into trust for my my brother and I. So when we became 18, we would become the owners. And this was a way of protecting the asset. So um, once I turned 18, my brother and I owned this property. And that's when we moved into the next phase of problems with my father. So he wanted to continue living um, in the shed. which was problematic because it was illegal and my brother and I were then responsible for that. But he also wanted to live there for free. Now this kind of comes back into his narcissistic tendencies. He wanted us to pay for the electricity, the rates, um, and also because this wasn't a, was a property my brother and I were not, were not residing at, we also had to pay a land tax every year, which was about three to $4,000. And my brother and I were only students at this time and we weren't working. So we, uh, we actually ended up having to evict my father from this property um, and he did not go easy. <laughs> so I was only maybe about 18 or 19 at this time. So um, on my, actually on my birthday, we had the police come in and take him out of, evict him from the, the shed. Um, he, he wasn't like, pulled away from them like pulled away from by the police or or dramatic or anything like that they were just there to to watch him take his things and leave and and that kind of thing um and the last thing that he said to my my brother and myself is the very last thing he said to us is all the time that he spent um caring for us in the shed he could have been out partying and, and screwing other women that's what he had said to uh, my brother and myself. Sorry. <laughs> um, but anyway, we went through that, that eviction process. But it, despite being evicted and taken off the property, um, he appealed every decision that the court made. Um, he just went through the appeal process just to put my brother and I through some extra pain, pretty much. And he appealed it to the most, the highest possible court he could have just to drag the legal proceedings out um which in in the end it didn't change anything but you know going through that being so young you're thinking oh my god they're gonna let him back into the shed and he's gonna continue living there and we're gonna have to pay for everything and you just you just don't think clearly um with you know I guess at that age and it was just he just did it to be spiteful um so as an adult now, I'm in almost my 
almost to my 30s. Um, I don't let this affect me anymore. It did for a very, very long time. Um, going through, so when all this court stuff was happening, I was going through uni. I was actually doing an honours uh, thesis and it was possibly one of the worst times of my life, despite all the trauma as a child, actually having to take dad to court um, was one of the hardest things I ever had to do because, he, you know, this is my parent and I'm, I'm fighting with my parent. Um, so during that phase, um, you know, I engaged in a, in a lot of self-harm behaviours. I was taken away in an ambulance several, several times um, and I was just very unwell as a person and very, very confused, um, very confused young adult. Um, but you know, I, despite that, I, um, I got through it and I I graduated uni and I did really well despite all that. Um, and now that I'm a little bit older, I'm, I'm not really that unwill anymore. And, um, I, the, the key take home message I want people to hear is that despite all this, I, I did overcome it and I'm a... Even though I'm emotional talking about it, I don't let this affect my day-to-day life anymore. I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a father. I, I don't see myself as having a father, and I have a very poor relationship with my mother. But you know, I'm, I'm really happy. And, and right now, and what I did really was kind of just took a holistic approach to getting myself better. So, you know, I saw a psychiatrist. I got put on medication. Um, and probably the biggest, biggest change is I, I started CrossFit a few years ago and uh, it, it helped me so much. And then with CrossFit, then I also started running and it changed my life. It absolutely changed my life. Through, through CrossFit and through running, I met these amazing people. And, you know, I, I just found that I wasn't alone in this, that there are so many other people out there that have had trauma as well and it's just through that shared experience I don't feel like I'm alone that there's hope um out there and but despite going through something so awful you you know you can overcome it and you can have some level of normalness in your life and, and things do they do absolutely get better um but yeah that's my story and thank you for listening gosh I'm so proud of you um you guys won't know but this is our second take of doing this because we weren't going to go through with this conversation um because it's not easy for anyone to speak about you know the deeper things that they may have gone through and obviously as they're sharing those things which is why I'm so proud of you they're obviously reliving some of those memories. Yes, it may have happened years and years ago, but the moment you start speaking about it, you can see it clearly as if it's happening. And I'm just thankful that you had the courage to share because one of the things our anonymous guest, if I pause, it's because I might mention their name, which is why I need to remind myself (laughs) not to, but um, had said, as you know, that you're not alone and it's been quite surprising through sharing you know I'm very lucky that I get to interview individuals who are willing to share their stories but the amount of people who have come back who most of them I don't even know have said you know I thought I always thought I was the only one that had gone through that or didn't realize that somebody else had experienced this 
effed up thing you know I mean I'm not gonna just put it put it like that because in a lot of cases it can feel very much like that because it is these things that we go through are not normal and that's why I'm, I'm gonna say it again that I am truly thankful that you had the courage to do that because it takes somebody special to be able to share part of their own story in order to help others so thank you for your beautiful heart one of the things um you mentioned as well as there is hope you can overcome it and I heard through you sharing that there were different things you talked about seeing you know a psychiatrist um, going on medication which you know I know I don't have and I think whatever you need to do in order to look after yourself so you can be the best version of you like do that and saying that I know that's a lot of the reasons why some people turn to you know other um other remedies that may not be as good and I shouldn't say remedies but things like alcohol and drugs is to kind of help them shift into that same space but there could be other opportunities that will help you if you're willing to see somebody who is a professional in that space and it might take more than one visit to find the right person if you're lucky enough I mean do you mind me asking Actually, I will say that. what that process was <laughs> like for you I mean, you may be lucky and you you might click with, say, a psychologist or a psychiatrist on the first go, but for me, it actually, I, I had to see a few before I found the right one that worked for me and I guess my personality. So it's not a, it's just something you've just got to persevere with. I mean, it's frustrating, but like once I found her, it was like, oh, it was just a, it just, it was worth it. It was worth going for that process and, and talking to a few different people to find the right doctor for me. So, and yeah. you mind me asking, like, what made you continuously, like, continue to keep looking? Because it could be very much, you know, the very first time you're going to see a professional and you're like, no, wrong, okay, I'm going to just never mind about this. Like, what was it that was driving you to want to find that? I just knew if I didn't find the right person, I probably wouldn't be here that I'd be, I just couldn't function. If, if, if I didn't take my life, I just wouldn't be able to function in, I just wouldn't be able to function in my life in any aspect of my life. So I knew I had to get, I knew I had to find someone. I knew I had to seek help and I, I wasn't gonna let this, what had happened to me, destroy my life. And that's why I, I just kept trying until, until I found the right person. And do you mind me asking as well, when you talked about the medication, like how did that process work? Did they just find, I mean, because I've not had to go through yeah. like what was that like? Medication's been an interesting one for me. Um, so I've been on a whole, a whole range of different ones. Um, there's the, the one that they tend to put people on, the, the like when you first go kind of asking for antidepressants is Zoloft. I, that, it just didn't work for me. And in those range of medications didn't work for me. It, they caused really bad side effects. So I, kind of at that point I knew like, oh, going to a GP and getting a script and just seeing a psychologist, it wasn't going to work for me. Like I knew my issues were a bit more complex. So I made the choice to go see a psychiatrist because they could, also, they could um, do therapy with me and also prescribe me medication. And I actually... Um, found a medication that it's um, called Valdoxin if anyone's interested but it's a melatonin based medication so it's not like the typical um, antidepressants it's not the typical class so there's no weight gain there's no terrible sexual side effects which is what you get on the other ones um, not this it's 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 fine it's it's just works so well for me the only downside is is that it's a bit expensive but um yeah no it's made a massive difference to um my mental health 
Yeah. Which goes into the next aspect. How did the CrossFit journey, like, was that something <laughs> recommended by your psychiatrist or was that something you took upon yourself to add that physical element into your... Well, it was really interesting because um, my uh, partner at the time had actually suggested CrossFit um, to me and I'm just like, oh, you know, no, that's really not for me. I'm not, you know, that's definitely not for me. Like this is coming from a person who did not like going to the gym. But I went to one class and I was just hooked <laughs> and I haven't left since um, what I really enjoy about CrossFit is it's it's in a community um it's a community class environment you have coaches there that help and support you and I think that's why I probably didn't like the gym so much because I was on my own and um and I'm just not really that self-disciplined to go through a program by myself like it's and there's just I just didn't make really any friends through the gym either so that's what I really like about CrossFit and um, and I just got really into it and I and I, it became part of my routine it's become part of my life um, I wake up every morning I go to the my most mornings I go to the 5am class and it just sets me up for the day I mean you know some classes are harder than others but like it's you're doing you're achieving things that you thought you wouldn't be able to achieve <laughs> and that's what I love about it and I've just met wonderful people through that community like destiny um, and even others who have shared their story on this podcast too. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I think your, uh, what do you call it, not selling point, but talking about CrossFit is much better than what I say. I just wanted to add because I usually tell people, oh, you know, I love it because you're all dying together. Like you're not dying. Now when I say dying, I mean, when you're in the wads, as you know, it can, it, it's really tough. And mm-hmm. you feel like you want to give up, but you look around and everybody else is suffering. So I'm like, no, please come along to CrossFit. Do you want to suffer with us? I'm like, <laughs> suffer probably with not us. the best thing to say, but the um, you know, the mental health. I mean, physical benefits is obviously, yeah, there, but the mental health aspects go above and beyond. But that Absolutely. community support, um, especially if you don't have that in your everyday lives, because some of well, us was, don't have that. I was going to so. say, I don't really have much of a family, so like the CrossFit community is my family, mm. so mm. I did have another question, but it's totally gone out of my head. I suppose the actually, I will leave this as the last question. Um, looking back on the experiences you've gone through, if you were to talk to the five-year-old you, who's about to, you know, parents are about to get divorced and everything you now know that has happened in your life, what kind of advice would you give to that young five-year-old? That's really funny because um, actually doctors have asked me the same thing. Um, yeah, and I'd always, well, I've, I've thought about this question and it's it just goes back to what I said before that, you know, you're going to have a tough time, but you're going to come out of this stronger and that there is hope. Um, you're going to have a wonderful life as an adult. Um, that's what I would say to my five-year-old self. Yeah, that's such yeah. a loving thing to say, despite, like you said, knowing what you've gone through. Thank you so much for sharing your story Thank today. You. I really, truly appreciate it. Um, if anybody else, you know, or if you happen to be going through something similar, or if you actually would like to ask any questions for our anonymous interviewee, please feel free to drop a message and I will pass that on to her. Otherwise, if you're going through something similar, there are support services that are out there. Um, if you're in Australia, places like Beyond Blue, Lifeline, there's also Facebook groups. I can't think of any of the top of my head, but 
there are communities everywhere crossfit if you're into <laughs> that too but um you know like our anonymous guest said there is hope and i just hope that by sharing uh, her story that we've been able to give you some of that today oh thank you <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Hashtag Hope Wall podcast with your host, Destiny Davies. Check out our messages on Hashtag Hope Wall via thesolitudeproject.com.